Let's grab our Bibles. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. We're in a, series, we're in a sermon before we get to a new series. We're starting a new series next week. As you're turning there, I'll just tell you about that. It's called He Came, We Go. Um, and it's our Christmas series where we're going to be talking about uh, the mission and the message of Jesus and what he has brought in this season that we celebrate. And now the mission that we now and the message that we go and proclaim because we've experienced the, the Christmas uh, the season of Christmas in our hearts and lives through salvation, we now go. And so this is going to be a, a very powerful uh, sermon series. Encourage you to be here. Bring somebody with you. I hope you guys are packing out all three hours uh, starting next week with New Beginnings folks and friends of New Beginnings folks. This is going to be a great time in the Word together. But this morning, I want to jump into Romans chapter 12 and talk about what it looks like for us to know and live the will of God. What does it look like for us to know and to live the will of God? I think it's the desire of every Christian to know and to live the will of God. Amen? Amen. Like just the, the fundamental question, I would say Pastor Matt would echo this as well. Uh, this is one of the most fundamental questions that we are asked often. Like how do I know the will of God for my life? How do I know what job to take and what career to choose? How do I know that what I'm doing God wants me to do? I mean, these are the questions that we're often wrestling with. And I think every believer fundamentally, we want to know, am I doing what God wants me to do with my life? Am, is my family, or, or are we experiencing God's best for our family? Um, if you're a single person, you're like, who do I date? Who do I marry? What's God's will in regards to my future spouse? All of us have this yearning and this desire to know the will of God. But I think what keeps us from knowing and walking in the will of God is not um, what we think it is. So here's what, let me explain it like this. I think, I was reading this this last week on this. John Piper says it like this. There, there are two categories of God's will. Category one is God's sovereign will, his, his ultimate direction. Like what he, uh, the plans he has put into place, the future that he uh, is bringing about. So there's the sovereign, mysterious plans of God, the future that God is leading us toward. And then there is the will of God for everyday life, the decisions that are in front of me, uh, the choices that I make on a daily basis. And so there's the mystery of God's will, and then there is the revealed known will that we're working out on a daily basis in regards to the everyday life decisions that we make. Nod your head if you're with me. What most of us do in our Christian life, and this is where the hang up for me most of my Christian life is that I got so fixated on wanting to know the mysterious future plans of God, the mysterious will of God, that I fail to realize what's more important is the everyday choices that I make and living in the everyday known will of God. And here's what I've come to discover. If I want to experience and know the mysterious big picture plans that God has for me, the only way for me to get there is for me to walk in the everyday will and the decisions and the choices and the way in which I live every single day. Does that make sense? And here's what I want to do this morning for a few minutes. I want us to look at this and I want us to unpack what Paul is going to show us here in Romans chapter 12, because I think what he's going to show us in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is, is the key to getting to the mysterious will of God is walking in the everyday practical will of God. Does that make sense? And here, here's why I, I, I want to, let me use this illustration. 
Um, oftentimes we treat the will of God like a GPS. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like during the holidays, I went to Arkansas and, and hung out with family for Thanksgiving. And then Friday, some friends, some good friends, some God-honoring, God-fearing fans gave me tickets to the Razorback game. And um, so if you know me, I'm from Arkansas. I've been, I've been living on the mission field for the last 30 years here in Texas. And, um, and, uh, but every once in a while, I get to the promised land. And uh, so we, we, uh, we went, and so, yeah, I'm not even going to go there and talk about football season, all right? I understand what we did to Texas. I understand. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm quenching the Holy Spirit right now, aren't I? Um, but it sure feels good. Uh, so I got tickets to the Razorback game. So what we did leaving my, my in-laws is that we put in our GPS the, the stadium address, the University of Arkansas. So we had our destination in mind. We locked it in. And then all I had to do to get from point A to point B was just to listen to the voice of the person on the GPS, GPS and follow the direction, right? And so I, I put the destination that I have in mind and then I just follow the steps to get there. And this is how most of us want God to work in our life, but that's not how it works. So here what I would say to you is, is that God has a destination in mind that he might not have revealed to us just yet. But there is an address in the GPS of God's plan for your life. So the, the, the key of knowing God's will is listening to the direction that he gives you on a daily basis. Taking the turns that he's telling you to turn. Taking the, 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 the exits that he's telling you to take. Following the everyday instructions of God gets us to the ultimate destination. We just don't have the luxury of putting the destination in before we leave. And so what Paul is going to show us this morning is how we can walk in the everyday will of God and how it gets us to the ultimate plan that God has for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. If you're there, say, I'm there. there. Scripture says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now listen to this next phrase. That by testing, you may discern what is the what? What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? So here at the end of verse 2, Paul is helping us understand that there is a will of God that we can know and we can discern and we can walk in. And he says this will is good and it's perfect and it's acceptable. How many of you want that? But understand what he gives us at the end of 2, he says that you may be able to discern or to know and to walk in this will of God. This comes on the heels of verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, I want to help you understand the context are built upon something. It's built upon the gospel. You see, what Paul is showing us here, and I want you to get this. Listen, knowing the will of God is discovered in immersing yourself in the gospel of Jesus. It is built upon a life that is established on understanding what Paul calls here the mercies of God. You see, we're going to talk about a life of obedience, a life of surrender, a life of submission, of life of viewing the world um, from the lens of God's word. But understand that this life of obedience, this life of knowing and walking in the will of God is not a life 
that is just white-knuckling ourselves in some sort of human earthly effort trying to obtain some sort of knowledge or experience so that we might know the path that God has for us. No, no, no. It's rooted in not in our work, but in the finished work of Jesus. And when we understand the foundation of the gospel, that our Christian experience is rooted in that, built upon that, that is when we're in a position to discover God's will. Here, here's what I mean. Let me unpack this for you. Look back, if you would, at verse one. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Uh, some uh, translations say it like this. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy. How many of you remember that translation? I think it's King James, NIV, one of those. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, there's a transition that's happening in the book of Romans if we're going to understand what Paul is talking about in, in regards to the will of God. There's a turn of the page for Paul in the book of Romans. Chapter 12 begins something new and something fresh. How do we know that? He starts it out by saying, therefore, a little Bible study trick that you, some of you may have heard this. Um, anytime you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you need to ask yourself the question, what is it? What is it there for? So when you see this word, therefore, it's coming on the heels of something. It's a way for Paul to say, in light of all of that, here's now what you need to do. And so I want you to understand, when Paul says, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, or I appeal to you, brothers, uh, by the mercies of God, here is what Paul is doing. Paul is, is starting chapter 12 by pointing back to chapters 1 through 11. In chapters 1 through 11, Paul is communicating to us what he refers to in chapter 12 as the mercies of God. Chapters 1 through 11 is simply the gospel. He is helping us understand the riches of God's grace and the mercies that he has shown us in Christ. He's taking 11 chapters, for crying out loud, unpacking for us the glorious beauty of the gospel of Jesus. It's important that we understand this. I want you to picture it like this. Uh, Paul in chapter 12, I want you to picture what he's doing here is he's standing on the top of a mountain. What I'm gonna call the mountain, Mount Gospel. And Paul is standing on top of God's, uh, on, on Mount Gospel because the, the last 11 chapters, he has helped us scale Mount Gospel. He is helping us climb this mountain where we get to see the beauty of the mercies of God. This past summer, I got a chance to go to Colorado on missioncation. Uh, by the way, families, I know this is a family service. I want you to know, first of all, I, I know your kids are in here. If they get a little fidgety, hey, that's okay, all right? At least they're awake, all right? Our deacons will be asleep. The kids will be awake. It'll be awesome. Um, so uh, we know they're in here. We're going to try to make this fairly short today. And, um, and uh, by that, I mean not short at all. And um, so... Anyway, so we, we got to go to a missioncation. Families, you need to take your kids on missioncation. We got options, uh, different locations that you can take your families to. It's a way for you to take a week's vacation, uh, go on mission with your family where you can both do mission and vacation. And I'll tell you, as, as a dad of a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and soon to be a 12-year-old, 
Um, their heart for missions was shaped because as, as little as, as they could walk, they were going on mission trips with us, missioncation trips with us, and so encourage you to do that. That's a side note. Well, Pastor Matt and I got to go on missioncation Colorado. While we were there, some friends, the Darbys and some other families, we went uh, mountain climbing, so we went hiking up this mountain. We were told before we went, because we're going with our families, and some of us have, have younger kids, hey, this, this mountain, you need to go hike it. It's beautiful. It's not that difficult. It won't take that long. They lied. It was hard, and uh, it did take long. Like, I think it was like two, two and a half hours up, up, down was a lot faster. Um, but man, I'm telling you, it was painful, but it, it was incredible at the same time. Um, but what's amazing is, is that as we began to walk up this mountain, see, at the, in, the, in the valley, we were in the parking lot, and while it was beautiful and you could see the mountain, there was a limited vantage point. But as we begin to scale the mountain, as we begin to walk up, there were these moments where after you would climb a certain elevation, there'd be lookout points. If you've ever gone hiking up a mountain, you'll understand. You get to those lookout points, you're able to see how far you've come, be able to see a different part of the terrain. Then you get to hike up. And for us, it's like every time we hit one of those uh, lookout points, we were asking the question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Kids weren't asking that. The adults were asking that. And they're just like, no, it's not it. And we're like, well, this is beautiful. And they're like, well, you, you haven't seen anything yet. And then we would get to the next uh, lookout viewpoint and we would see and it would just be even more beautiful. We'd say, are we there yet? No, you've not seen anything yet. And, and time after time as we scaled this mountain, eventually we got to the very top of the mountain and it was absolutely breathtaking. We were able to look back at, at how far we've come. We were able to see things we couldn't see before. It was absolutely beautiful standing at the top of the mountain. And I believe this is what Paul has been doing for 11 chapters in the book of Romans. Paul has been taking us up Mount Gospel. And he has been scaling this mountain. And with, with every turn of the page in the book of Romans, you're like, are we there yet? No, you haven't seen anything yet. There's more to it. And here is what's, what's, what's happening. Let me give you a rundown of the book of Romans so you'll understand the context of, of what we're going to look at this morning. So let me give you the rundown. This will give you the, the scale, quick scale of the Mount Gospel that Paul is taking us up. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul is helping us understand how desperate we are for the Gospel. That it is, that it is, that it is an, an absolute desperation for all people both those in the covenant community of faith of Israel and those who are outside the covenant of communion. In fact, in Romans chapter three, he summarizes chapters one through three by saying, listen, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that every single one of us are busted and broken and we've chosen life on our own terms. And then it gets good in chapters four and five, Paul says, because of this, here's what you need to know, because you're broken, listen, it is only by grace through the faith in Jesus that a person can be saved that you're so lost and so sinful that it requires God's grace to be given to you and a faith response. So Paul is helping us understand that salvation comes by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In fact, in chapter five, he summarizes four and five by saying this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Anybody grateful for that? Amen. And then you get to chapter six, seven, and eight. Paul begins to show us the transforming power of the gospel in our life through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
He begins to say, you were buried with Christ and you've been raised with Christ, that sin has no dominion on you anymore. In chapter seven, he says, yes, you are gonna battle the flesh. But in chapter eight, he says, but there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you in Christ Jesus. And he says, that the spirit of God has set us free from slavery to sin so that we might, might know that we belong to him because his spirit bears witness with our spirit. We are sons and daughters of God and that, listen, that there is no power in heaven or hell or force in the seen and the unseen that can separate us from the love that is ours in Christ Jesus. You get in chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul begins to help us understand the salvation we've received as God's sovereign plan, that all the promises that God had made to Israel is fulfilled in Christ, and that now, even by his sovereign grace, the Gentiles have been grafted into the covenant plan of God. That's the mountain. And Paul now standing at the top of the mountain, he says, I want you to take it in. Look, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, there is a life that I'm gonna command you to live. And in that life that I'm commanding you to live, that's where you're gonna discover and discern and walk in God's will for your life. It is in view of the mercies of God. So here's what Paul is gonna do. He says, you wanna know the will of God you got to stand on Mount Gospel. And in view of that, there are two commands he gives us that put us in a position for us to walk in the will of God and to, to live the life that he's called us to live. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first thing that he shows us here. I'm going to put this command in form of a statement that helps us understand and clarify what Paul wants us to do if we're going to walk in God's will. Number, number one is this. Paul says we need to live in a posture of submission because of the gospel. We need to live in a posture of submission because of the gospel. Notice what he says here. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, uh, brothers, by the mercies of God. So now that you're standing on Mount Gospel and you're seeing the mercies of God, here's your response. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He says, now that you're standing here and you can see the glory of God's mercies and you can see the landscape of the gospel and what Christ has done for you, in view of that, he says, I am calling you to, to submit yourself, to sacrifice yourself as a living sacrifice. You see, a sacrifice loses all of its rights. A sacrifice dies to itself, its will, its wants and desires and is laid at the altar to be completely consumed by God, to be used for his purposes and his purpose alone. And I think this is the imagery that Paul is giving us. He's saying, listen, in view of the God's mercies, in view of what Christ has done for you, he says, your response to this is to put your life in a posture of submission where you have lost all will and all rights of your own to yourself, and you now live fully being consumed by God and God alone. This is important. And I love this. In the, in the King James Version, he says, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, um, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. I love that reasonable act of worship. Why? Because it's just the logical thing for us to do. When you see the mercies of God, when you see the grace of God, when you see the gospel of Christ, it, it puts us in a position where you're going, of course, it just makes sense that I would die to myself and let him consume me completely. 
You see, knowing God's will and walking in God's will, listen, we've got to understand this. God's will for our life doesn't begin with a destination. It begins in a posture of submission. God's will for our life isn't a place, it's a posture. It's putting ourselves down saying, God, all of who I am belongs to you. That is God's will for our life. And if we're going to discern God's plans for us and want to know what he has for our life, it begins with this dying to our own wills and desires and saying everything that I am, all of who I, who I am belongs to you now. Why? Because I view your mercies. And this is the only conclusion that's logical that I can come to is to, 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 to submit myself fully to you. I, this is important. Listen to the application here. It's important that we get this. You see, I said it's not a place that we go. It's a posture that we live in. And what that simply means is, is that God's will for our life begins with us laying down our ambitions Laying down our dreams, laying down our hobbies, laying down our vocation, laying every, everything, we have, all of our gifts, all of our resources, everything that we're living for, laying our families down. You see, listen, we are not ready to know God's will for our life until we no longer care what that will is. And as long as my ambitions and my dreams and what, what I want, see, most of us, let's just be honest. It's church for crying out loud. Most of us want God to conform his will to our will. Not us die to our will to experience his the sum total of most of our lives is, God, I'm going this direction. Would you bless it? And God says, but my plan for you is you to get on this altar and die to yourself so I can take you where I want you to go. And so listen, this is a simple statement. Write this down if you're taking notes. Listen to this. We are not ready to go where God wants us until we are surrendered where God has us. We are not ready to go where God wants us until we are surrendered where God has us. You see, as long as we're wanting to put the address into the divine GPS of God's sovereign will, we're not ready for his will. What God wants us to do is say, hey, listen, all right, pray like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. In view of God's mercies, listen, how do we get there? We live in a posture of submission because of the gospel. Here's number two. Write this down if you're taking notes. Second command, we need to live with a perspective that is transformed by the gospel. So again, remember, we're standing on Mount Gospel and we're, we're seeing what God has done. We're viewing the mercies of God. And the first thing he says is, first of all, you need to, you need to assume a posture of submission. And now you need to live with a perspective that's, that's transformed by the gospel, by this viewpoint that you have. Look what he says, verse 2, uh, A. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The, the two words he uses here are very important. Conformed versus transformed. When you think conformed, I want you to think of it like this. Think about Plato. 
Play-Doh can, can be or, or, or some sort of clay. You can mold it, shape it, right? Um, think about a mold. You put something in a mold and it makes that, whatever the mold is, that's the shape of the object that you put in it. Maybe another way is to think about a chameleon lizard, right? What happens to a chameleon lizard? Whatever environment it's in, it just blends into. It conforms to the environment. Paul is saying for believers who want to know the will of God, we don't conform to the, to the things of this world, to the ways of this world, to the mindset of this world. He says, no, there's another word, that's transform. The, the word transform in the, in the original language, the Greek language is a, is a Greek word, metamorphous, where we get our English word metamorphosis. It is to transform into something completely different. So think about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. A butterfly is not a caterpillar with wings. It's a completely different thing. It's, it's a, a transformation. It is fundamentally different. And this is what Paul says. Those who want to walk and know God's will in view of God's mercies, you need to have God's word, his gospel, transform the way that you see the world. This is the point that he's making here. Look back at the text. He says, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewal of our mind. If you want to circle, a word, circle the word mind there in your Bibles, it, it means your thinking, your perspective, the way that you see the world and, and, and interpret the world around you. He says, you, you need to see it from a biblical perspective, from a gospel-centered perspective. Now, I want you to go back to the context with me for a moment. Remember the mountain, right? Mount Gospel. We're standing on Mount Gospel. We're viewing God's mercies. And Paul is saying, from standing on Mount Gospel, viewing God's mercies, you should see the world differently. So going back to our trip in Colorado when uh, Pastor Matt and I were uh, climbing up the mountain uh, with our families, it, what was amazing is, is that when we started out, I told you, in the, this parking lot, in this parking lot, you could see a few of the mountains in front of you. You could see even the valley that was, like, was right in front of you. Um, and from in the, in the, in the distance, you, you thought that mountain range is the last mountain range. And so there was a limited perspective from the base of the mountain, right? Would you agree with that? But as we scaled the mountain, with each lookout point, our vantage changed. Our perspective changed. We started seeing things we didn't see before. We began to see things differently. The trees that looked so big when we were in the valley, they began to look really small. All right? the, the view that we thought that's the end of it, we realized that was just the beginning of it. And as we scaled the mountain at every vantage point, every time we stop and we looked at a different elevation, our perspective changed all the more until we got to the very end and we realized, man, there are endless number of mountain ranges that we couldn't see from the base of the mountain. And everything that looks so big seems so small. And this mountain that, that honestly from the, from, the, from the ground, it looked like, okay, we can do this pretty easily. When we got up to the top, it was like, whoa. Look how far we've come. What's the point? Everything changed for us from the elevated height. Our perspective was completely shifted to where we saw everything differently and we had even interpreted the landscape differently. Paul's point in this passage is this. In view of God's mercies, 
you need to begin to live your life from the vantage point of Mount Gospel. You need to begin to see the world differently than the rest of the world sees the world. You don't need to have the same decision-making processes that the rest of the world has. You don't need to be thinking about your plans and your life and your future the way that the rest of the world thinks about their plans and life of the future. You have a, you're at a different vantage point. You're seeing the world differently. You're standing on the mercies of God looking over creation because you're, you're, the, the viewpoint of the world is limited. But from the perspective of the cross, you can see clearly what life is all about. You no longer make your decisions for your family based upon what your neighbors do who may not know Christ. You no longer choose the career path based upon the reason other people choose the career path. You no longer take the promotion or the new job or relocate your family based upon the same earthly wisdom and reasoning that the rest of the world makes their decisions on. You now, standing on Mount Gospel, you need to be transformed in the way that you see the world so that the gospel, the word of God, becomes the lens by which you interpret the world so that you're seeing things from the internal perspective, from the mission of God at work in your life and through your life. The problem with most Christians in the world today is that we are, we are make, most of our decisions that we make in everyday life, in the small areas, and even, even the ones that are, that are life-changing, like, do I take this job, do I not take this job? Most of us, when it comes to those type of decisions, we walk off the mountain and get back into the valley and begin to look at those decisions from the same vantage point of the world. And that is why we look no different from the world around us. That is why our value system is no different than the world around us. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. It is God's word. It is the truth that is in scriptures. It is what God has revealed is ours now in Christ. You see, the commands of Scripture in the, in the direction that God gives our life, it's the pathway of experiencing the, the blessings of life that is found in Him and Him alone. It is living out the grace of God that's been freely given to us in Christ. And so rather than when it comes to everyday decisions of our life, climbing back down the mountain and making decisions based upon a perspective like everyone else in the world, no, we stay on Mount Gospel and we go, no, 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 from up here, I'm seeing things differently. I'm not going to be conformed. I'm going to live in a life of being transformed in the way that I think and see and interpret the world. Let me give you some applications here. So what does this look like on a, on a practical level? It means that we see everything through the lens of God's word, through the lens of the gospel. So our families, we make decisions based upon what God's word is revealed, not what culture says is right or wrong. We speak wisdom, like when it comes to our kids' dating life and, 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 and the, the relationships that they're in and the social groups that they're in. We, we don't take our cues from, from unbelievers. That's right. Why? Because they're not standing on Mount Gospel. They don't see what we see. We make our decisions based upon the Word of God. Listen, when, when, you, when you choose like whether or not you should take the, 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 another job you don't just look at all the things that the world looks at. Is there earthly wisdom that is from the Lord? Absolutely. 
But then there is the spiritual wisdom of the Lord that begins to look at things beyond the career advancement and the paycheck. And there may not be from the base of the mountain any good reason to stay where you are or to go. But from view of God's mercies and with a transformed mind, it makes all the sense in the world. When it comes to priorities for your family and what you calendar is important. <laughs> and I, I, so I, I can vent here because I'm not in Longview right now. And I, so I, I, COVID has jacked us up in so many ways. And it comes to our priorities and schedule. So I'm going to say something I can't. I just, I'm going to vent. You, you guys are going to be therapy for me for a moment. Just don't tell them, all right? I'm so stinking frustrated with the way that families now are using COVID to disengage at the very fundamental basics of Christianity. The priorities that we have in our life now, the rhythms that have been interrupted, therefore now it's the greatest. So listen, I, I want to love you enough to say, I love the fact that technology has is, is made it possible for those who cannot be at church to engage and, and to experience a limited uh, worship service online, but can I just tell you, watching church in your living room is not the same as being with God's people on God's day. It's a great resource and tool, yes, but it is not God's plan for his people. Do not forsake the assembling of yourself together as some are in the habit of doing. And we have just, we have, we have kind of gotten into this place where our priorities, we, it's just, it's gone crazy. And we've seen this slow fade of us climbing down the mountain and making decisions on our obedience in the small areas. I would say that gathering with God's people, listen to me, do you realize what we're doing right now is, is the most ancient thing that we hold as followers of Jesus? From the very conception of the church, God's people gathered on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, Resurrection Day. Not Sabbath, on Resurrection Day. Celebrating the fact that what has transformed us and what's brought us together as the people of God is the fact that the grave is empty. And when we neglect this gathering, we're neglecting the, one of the most fundamentally Christian practices that we have. Over the last several years, we've seen statistics. Matt, Pastor Matt and I, we were immersed into this stuff. A few years ago, the studies were showing, you know, like 25, 30 years ago, you know, faithful Christians would say they were at church, uh, you know, three times a month. Then you were considered really, really, like, faithful if, if, as time went on and our lives got um, chaotically busy and, and our priorities got out of line. If you came to church twice a month, you were considered like faithful attender to church. Now they're saying if someone comes to church once every five weeks, they would consider themselves a regular attender in church. And can I tell you, that, that bar that's been lowered has not been lowered by God's word. So when it comes to worship attendance, let me hear what Paul is saying. Do not be conformed to the church attendance pattern of your neighbor's but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by not forsaking the assembling of yourself together as some are in the habit of doing. This is strange when you say no to travel baseball and basketball. It's strange when moms and dads begin to go, 
Yes, they're, they're, my kid is gifted and talented and could be all over the place playing every weekend, but we choose not to. Why? Because from the vantage point of Mount Gospel, it's just reasonable that we sacrifice and we give and we say yes to, to the things that Jesus tells us to say yes to and no to the things he tells us to say no to. Our hobbies. How can I use our hobbies, our, our, our talents, our gifts to make much of Jesus? How do we leverage them, the values that we hold? What does it look like for, for my life to reflect the values of God's word and the gospel, not the values of popular culture? And listen, I don't care how loud secular society declares something to be okay. If God's word says it once that it's not okay, it's not okay. My kids are growing up, your kids are growing up in a culture where there, there's just certain ways of life. They won't know the difference. They are going to be so immersed into the fishbowl that they're not going to know they're in water. So we, listen, we better let Mount Gospel determine our values, not the popular culture. When it comes to our politics, hello? Got quiet in a hurry. <laughs> how does your political views, how, are they shaped by the, the base of the mountain, by the worldly perspective? Or are they shaped by Mount Gospel? What would Paul say to you and I today in our culture? Do not be conformed to the pattern of Fox News or CNN. But be transformed by the renewing of God's word. And I've said this to long you came as I, I'm not going to cheat you. Listen, if something in you wants to rise up with a little bit of anger that I said that, you've got sin in your heart. And you need to check it. There must be, there must be in our lives, if we want to walk in God's will, a shifting of perspective where God's word becomes the driving force of our life. Where, where the view of God's mercy changes the landscape and changes the perspective. It has to happen. I love what John Piper says. It hurts, but I like what he says. He says, we are perfectly useless as a Christian if all we do is conform to the world around us. What this world needs is peculiar Christians who live on the mountain, who make decisions with a perspective that's different than the perspectives of the world around them. So when they look at you and go, you didn't take that job and that promotion? Why? And you just go, and God was using me where I was. Well, you would have made more money, yeah, but I would have made less of a difference. Like you're, you're gonna say no to that opportunity for your kid? Yeah, because it would have taken us away from church more than we're, we're, we feel comfortable with. And I just, we just have a bigger picture for our kids and our family than that opportunity and season of their life that's going to go away soon. Yeah, I have convictions about those things politically, but I don't have the anger in my heart. And I don't, I feel like the gospel's bigger than this limited space of time where these issues who are, that are hot today are going to be gone tomorrow. 
the world begins to go, from what vantage point have you lived in your life? Oh, it's in view of God's mercy. Let me show you Mount Gospel. Then all of a sudden, we have the opportunity. And you know, when you're making decisions like that, can I help you? Listen, in those moments, you are discerning what the will of the Lord is, what is good and perfect and acceptable. And that's the glorious beauty of this thing that God has created for us called His will. When we live a life of submission and with a perspective that's rooted in the gospel, we're walking in God's will and, and half the time, it's like we don't even, we're oblivious to it because it's just life for us. One step in front of the other. One act of obedience after the next. I'm taking this journey to the place that God has prepared for us. It's mysterious to us, but we're on the path. Amen? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads if you would. We're gonna take a moment and just respond. There's some of you in the room this morning and you are uncertain about your relationship with the Lord. You don't know whether or not you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I wanna encourage you today, in view of God's mercy, would you submit to him today? Maybe today you've never trusted in, in the finished work of Jesus. You've never confessed your sin and repented Believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as your only hope. There are some of you, you've been under conviction for weeks. Just like that deacon I told you about before. So scared to be exposed of not knowing Jesus that you would stay in that condition of not knowing Jesus. And I want you to know today you can give your life to him. There's room for you. And right now where you are, you can just simply pray a prayer. God, I, I ask that you forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus died and he resurrected and he's the only hope. And I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want him to save me today. If that's you and you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to know that you can come forward. I'm challenging you in a moment to come forward and tell one of these encouragers, hey, I prayed this morning to receive Jesus. If you're not ashamed of that, if you're serious about that, then you'll have the courage to come and tell them. And I encourage you to do that. Those of you who know Christ this morning, just ask yourself two simple questions. Number one is, is there any area of my life that's not surrendered to Jesus? Question number two is, am I making my decisions with the perspective of the gospel in mind? Those are the questions. And if the answer to that is no, there's areas of my life that's not submitted to Jesus, then submit them today. If there are decisions you're making that are merely earthly in nature, repent of that. And ask the Lord to give you the strength to walk in his will. God, we give this time to you. Bless it. Give people courage to respond in Jesus' name.